we try to keep our spirits high. But they flag and they wave when the truck pulls up out front in the light spring rain. And they sigh like withering flowers. Let the good times roll on through these first few desperate hours. Hello and welcome to episode 1355 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs presented by our Patreon supporters. I'm Ben Lindberg of The Ringer, joined by Meg Rowley of Fangraphs. Hello, Meg. Hello. We have a guest today. We'll be talking to Joey Mellows, who is a delightful 34-year-old from Portsmouth, England. He is known as the Baseball Brit. Essentially, he discovered baseball a few years ago and has devoted his life now to following baseball everywhere all over the world. And he's going to 162 games this summer, or at least he is attempting to. And he's trying to spread a love and awareness of the game to his compatriots. So we'll talk to him. And he is a a delight. And he is actually in Seattle, where he saw the Mariners on opening day and I guess we should just do some opening day banter because there was actual baseball and we got to watch it. Yeah, we did. We got to watch actual baseball. We got to watch baseball players hit a lot of home runs yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. 50 is a lot. That seems like a lot of home runs for opening day. That is a lot. Was that a record? I know the Dodgers' eight home runs was a record for a a team on opening day, but that was extreme. You wouldn't expect to see that many home runs on opening day because, A, you've got aces going for the most part, and B, you've got cold weather usually, although it was pretty nice generally yesterday. So that was unusual. I don't know if it means anything because I I looked at like home run rates in spring training, and they were actually very slightly down from last year's spring training. So it it doesn't seem like the the ball just went crazy again or anything, but who knows? Maybe it's a a new ball for the regular season. There's no telling when the ball will change without (laughs) any warning. But yeah, that was weird and and fun. Lots of of dingers. And and some of the dingers, you know, make sense, right? You expect... uh... You expect some of these guys to hit home runs. You know, Javier mm-hmm. Baez does that. That's the thing he does a lot. Chris sure. Bryant does that. Chassin does not. So that was <laughs> weird. Yeah. I think that might have been the weirdest one. I cannot say that I expected Tim Beckham to hit <laughs> not one, but but two home runs off of Chris Sale. That yeah. wasn't a thing that I had on my list of, of likely outcomes for opening day. No. Uh, so, so that was bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> What was your uh, opening day consumption strategy? So at Fangraphs, we do a very long opening day chat. Yes. uh, And we did that again, although I was not as uh, active a participant uh, as I had been the prior year because it turns out that when you are also uh, running Fangraphs, you have a lot less time to sit there in the chat and and get to converse with our readers, which is a bummer because that's always good fun. Uh, But I, I basically had games on all day. I... I have an Apple TV, so I can only do two at once. Uh-huh. And so after the the early slate, things got a little bit tricky. But I had I had two on on the TV. I had one on on my laptop. <laughs> uh, and then I was just kind of bouncing around as as people in the chat were getting excited about stuff. So I checked in briefly on the weird almost for a while perfect game uh <laughs> yeah Jordan Zimmerman. Yeah, yeah of all of all people that yeah. would have been that would have been much weirder than 50 home runs mm-hmm. uh, on opening day i watched a fair amount of that 
Rays Astros game. I watched a good deal of the the Phillies uh, rally against the Braves bullpen. Uh-huh. <laughs> it seems that like was something that you might see a lot this season. Yeah. <laughs> if only they had options to improve that situation. It's very yeah. sad for them. And then, you know, I had the I had the Mariners Red Sox game on while I was editing a Tigers list. So, I I don't know about you, but I think one of the things that I like the best about real baseball that matters being back is that that background noise that occupies yeah. my house from, you know, from April until October is just back. So I just have, you know, that that comforting set of sounds while I'm doing other stuff. Uh, so that was nice. What do you what do you do for opening day? Well, I was writing for like the first half of the day, and so I I couldn't pay that close attention because I'm one of those people who just can't do anything else while they're writing. Which I I wish I weren't. There like only a a few kinds of music I can listen to while I'm writing, and anything with voices or like moving in images is just gonna completely derail me. So I watched like the beginning of the Degrom Scherzer deal, and mm-hmm. then I just kind of went back to to writing finished that up and then just uh, bounced around to whatever was on like i enjoyed even the white sox royals game which uh got interesting at the end yeah. because uh, there was a a late rally by the white sox in in the ninth inning and it was one of those innings that we won't see anymore after this season because there were like, I don't know, three or four pitching changes after just like a batter apiece. So that kind of bogged it down and, and that made me not sad that that type of inning will not happen anymore. But the rally itself was fun and uh, Loy Jimenez was involved. He didn't do anything great, but he was there, which was cool. Yeah. And uh, it ended with a, a really fun plate appearance by Corey Dickerson, who saw like 11 or 12 pitches and fouled off a, a ton of them and then ended up grounding out. But it was a good battle. And Jason Benetti was doing the play-by-play. So that was a lot of fun. And yeah. uh yeah, and then I watched Red Sox Mariners because it was kind of the only show in town at night. But uh, it was great just kind of following it. I mean, I do like just letting it wash over me. I also get kind of anxious because suddenly there's so much happening that as someone who's supposed to cover this stuff, yeah. I, I feel like immediately like I've lost track of everything because over the winter, like even if it's a busy news day, it's pretty easy to keep track of what you have to keep track of. You just go to MLB trade rumors or whatever and you know maybe there are a few signings or trades or something, but it's it's pretty easy. And then as soon as baseball games start, I feel like I'm constantly missing something. So that's uh, kind of the downside, but also the upside. Yeah, it can be it can be tricky too if you're. Uh, I struggle. You will be shocked to learn by getting um, overly fixated on on very tiny things that happen in games, <laughs> and then um, you know my anxiety comes with it's like, oh, this is quite interesting to me. Is this interesting to me in a way that is going to result in me spending like. Um, a bunch of hours of my life looking at this tiny minute moment in a baseball game. So yeah. I get I get preemptive like uh, research anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many how many at bats like this am I going to convince myself that I need to need to watch in order to write two thousand words on this weird face that somebody made? But yeah, I really liked that that Degrom Scherzer matchup was going to be good sort of no matter what because mm-hmm. you know you have these great starters but it also struck me as being sort of if 
if the game is going to be home runs and strikeouts, like that is the version of that game I want all the time. <laughs> yeah. Because it was very fun to watch, even though, you know, it was very low scoring, not a lot happened. You know, DeGrom got Juan Soto on a 3-2 changeup that just made me feel feelings about baseball again. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's the anticipation of work, but you also just get these really great little moments where you're excited that you actually have something to write about again that isn't the sad state of labor relations. So <laughs> that part of it is is freeing, even as it is you're mentally assigning yourself, you know, 2,000 word articles. Yeah, right. And the thing that I was working on for the first half of the day that was preventing me from watching baseball was about how good baseball players are now. And that's a, an article you can all go read right now because it has been published. But I tried to look sort of statistically at ways to show just how much better baseball players are than they used to be, which is not surprising, probably not controversial if you're someone who listens to this podcast, but it can kind of be easy to overlook because baseball players are always playing against other baseball players from their era. And so you don't have like an objective mile marker that you can judge them against. Like, you know, track and field has times and you can watch the records being broken. And in baseball, it's a little harder. So you just assume that the players are getting better, but you can't necessarily tell that from the stats. And so when Adam Adovino or someone comes out and says that he'd strike out Babe Ruth a whole bunch, people get mad and he has to like apologize and walk it back a bit because baseball loves its history and, and doesn't want anyone to tear down its icons from earlier eras. And so I looked at that a few different ways and you can kind of like just compare over time because if you look at players who are sort of in their prime period and so you wouldn't expect them to age really, you can just go like year to year and say, okay, how did the like 27 year olds or the, the 26 to 28 year olds do this year and then how'd they do the next year? And if you assume that they didn't actually physically decline, then if they declined for other reasons, then maybe it's because the rest of the league got better. So so that's one way you can look at it, or you can look at like the spread in talent, or you can look at pitcher hitting, which that's like the only thing I like about pitcher hitting is it's <laughs> this one thing that you can kind of use to, to judge how much baseball players are improving because pitchers are not selected for their hitting skill. And so they just keep getting worse and worse and worse. And that's because all the players who are selected for their hitting skill are getting better and better and better. So I looked at that in a bunch of ways, and as far as I can tell, baseball players are not only better than they've ever been, but they are actually improving right now at a rate that is among the highest in history. So that's kind of cool. It's like 150 years into professional baseball, and players are still getting way better all the time, and there are lots of reasons for that, but that's why I think the MLB Let the Kids Play campaign is uh, just been so well received and just seems so perfectly timed because the kids are playing we're seeing this historic youth movement and they're playing really well and so of course like the the new ad where you have a, a bunch of players kind of bragging about how many home runs they're going to hit and it's okay to brag now because this is modern baseball and we don't have to be the most self-effacing sport I think that makes sense because the kids are really ridiculously good and we saw that with Jimenez and and, you know, Alonzo making their debuts on opening day. It just never ends. So much talent. I was trying to explain to my mom over the weekends, my grandparents were in town, you know, they don't quite understand like what my job is. So we were talking about the Mike Trout extension and, you know, that number is such a big number and they were trying to understand sort of where he fits in the baseball landscape. And, you know,
know, I'm running through all of all of our well-known Mike Trout fun facts. Uh, <laughs> and just, you know, those, those numbers didn't really mean anything to them. They're older baseball fans. They don't really experience baseball through analytics the same way that we do. And I was able to say, I was like, he might be the best baseball player who's ever played. Yeah. <laughs> and he is surrounded by the best baseball players who have ever played. And we get to watch it. Like, there were generations of baseball fans who didn't get to watch these guys and they got to watch baseball and they had a good time. And, you know, we don't have to like, you know, make fun of them because they've <laughs> passed. But, uh, you know, we just have this extraordinary opportunity to watch these guys play. And I think that you're right. Like that campaign resonates because there's, there's so much potential for us to just get to enjoy this wonderful thing if we can kind of get out of our own way. And if, if Major League Baseball can get out of its own way. And so even though there are, you know, not there aren't all positive indicators, it is nice to see that there is some understanding somewhere of like what it is that they really have uh and and what potential it has because you know, it's it's amazing and we get to watch it. It's so cool. Yeah. Speaking of negative indicators mm. <laughs> and uh, Major League Baseball getting out of its own way, should we talk about the championship belt? Do you want I... to tell people about the championship belt? Yeah, so there was reporting today from The Athletic that there is a, a championship belt. I'm imagining this as like a, a WWE belt, yeah. right, that is given to the team that manages to, in the course of salary arbitration, suppress player salaries the most or come in at the lowest number uh, mm. overall. And... uh <laughs> <laughs> So there are a lot of things that are wrong with this. I am I am not a lawyer, although uh, Fangraphs Cheryl Ring is going to take a good long look at this. It seems very collusiony uh, to to sit around and be excited about how you have collectively suppressed player salaries. So that seems bad. Uh, although I will not use the capital C collusion word with any kind of authority, but uh, and it's just like the tackiest. It's. It's just such a tacky, gross thing to do. I, I wonder if the person who takes that home, like how do you explain that to your spouse right. when you get home? Here's, <laughs> here's the prize I won at work for making sure that a young person pursuing their dreams makes as little money as possible. <laughs> right. Maybe you just leave that at the office. I don't yeah, know. I guess. <laughs> like. Yeah, I mean, my understanding of this is that it's it's not technically collusion in like in a legal sense because teams are kind of allowed to collude on arbitration. They are. It's a weird thing. Right. <laughs> so if this were happening in free agency, that yes. would be a big no-no. This is not technically a no-no. It is optically a no-no. Yeah. And uh maybe morally a no-no. I mean, it's, you know, like we understand that uh, this is capitalism and baseball is a business and businesses generally try to make money and baseball is no exception. But, you know, celebrating essentially suppressing players' salaries is uh, very icky, especially given everything else that is going on. So, I mean, the purpose of a, of a baseball team's salary arbitration department or whoever's working on that is obviously to win the case and to make sure that you pay the player less than the player wants to be paid. But, you know, kind of crowing about it and, and awarding a, a championship belt from the league itself is, uh, I mean, it's it's certainly not <laughs> good for perception right now given everything else that is going on. 
Yeah, I just think that when you, you know, we look ahead to this to this next round of CBA negotiations, I think that in the last couple of weeks, there, there have been moments where people may have been slightly more optimistic that we would arrive at something reasonable, right? Uh, Major League Baseball was potentially interested in paying minor leaguers more, you know, although there are caveats to that. And they have formed this this committee as part of their rule changes to explore rule changes together, but also to sort of get ahead of some potential CBA issues. And I think it is a good reminder that this is an inherently adversarial relationship, even as it is one that, you know, means coming together at the end of the day to play baseball and to put put a team together. And so I I guess it's useful in that respect because it is easy to kind of get caught up in that optimism because I don't think any of us are especially keen on the idea of a work stoppage for a variety of reasons, but the reality might necessitate one if this is the sort of internal posture that teams and the league are taking when they're thinking about the the arbitration process, um, which is itself sort of, you know, a fraught way to explode a relationship between a a player and a team. I don't know that we've seen players be particularly reticent to re-sign in free agency with a team, but, you know, we hear every year stories of players who come out of the arbitration process having had to sit in the room and Mm -hmm. hear their employer talk about how they're bad at their jobs, (laughs) 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 which seems unpleasant. Um, And so to add an additional layer of sort of grievance to that process seems seems very short-sighted for you know, in service of a gag. So I I hope that they are sort of reflect on how this looks and how people who maybe aren't familiar with the the legal ins and outs of this process are going to view this behavior and what it what else it might indicate. Um, you know, so I I think that it's it's not a good it's not a good look. Uh, and to come the day after opening day when we were you know, recapturing that sort of spirit of the game is just, it was not a, it wasn't a pleasant thing to wake up to. And um, I think that we don't have to belabor this, but there are bits in here about sort of the interaction between MLB's labor relations department and how the teams file around the arbitration process that I think probably will bear some scrutiny in the next couple of days, because it does sound like, you know, they are positioned as a central resource for teams, but it sounds like there is a more uh, forceful desire on the the league's labor relations department to sort of drive uh, teams toward numbers that are lower than maybe they might be willing to pay for some premier players. So I think that's going to be something we have to look at pretty carefully because it seems bad. Yeah. And evidently there've been more teams that are going to file in trial where they just, they send their numbers in and uh, then it just goes to an arbitrator as opposed to before when it was more of a a conversation and a negotiation. But Kudos to Mark Craig at The Athletic for for bringing this up. And I guess rumors about the championship belt had been floating around, but he actually got Major League Baseball to comment on it by reporting on it well. So that is good. And uh, I'm going to guess that maybe the championship belt will be retired in future years, (laughs) if if not the mentality behind the championship belt, at least the, the physical manifestation of it. Probably not great at this particular point in time and uh and yeah i mean as we were just talking about baseball players are better than ever younger baseball players are incredibly talented and great right now and that just leads to some of these other issues with the salary scale and the economic structure because of course a lot of the production is being put up by players who are in that period where they're not getting paid that much at least relative to older players and more experienced players so that kind of exacerbates the impact 
balance there and uh, makes it more imperative for the Players Association to figure out some way to get those younger players paid. So, yeah, it's uh, we almost we talked about whether we wanted to talk about this because yeah. it's opening day and we're about to talk to Joey, who's like relentlessly positive and uh, <laughs> sees the joy in everything. And so it felt like a bit of a bummer to talk about the championship belt, but you got to take the good with the bad in baseball. And uh, it would be nice if it were all good, but it's not all good. No, we do. We do have to do our jobs and, <laughs> you know. It would be irresponsible not to talk about this stuff, but yeah, it's just so tacky. And you want you want to you want a sense that there is an appreciation for the seriousness of the situation they find themselves in, and how contentious and thorny some of this stuff is. And so, I think that um, you know, I hope that they reflect long and hard about not only the optics of this, but the sort of spirit behind it, and you know, find their way to something that more closely mirrors. Joey's appreciation for the game than this because this <laughs> yes. is a bummer. Yeah, and you and I haven't even read the new Deadspin story mm. about the Ricketts and, and the Cubs, which will probably be even more demoralizing, but uh, that'll be a, a topic for another day. And before that, we will actually enjoy baseball. It's kind of a bummer that there's no day baseball on the day after yeah. opening day. Is this is this a, a this is a scheduling thing in case they get rained out on opening right. day, right? I think so. Yes. Okay. So maybe it's necessary, but it's it's always it's kind of when you see a, a whole lot of baseball after no baseball and then yeah. it goes away for even like half a day, it's like, "No, give give it back. You just yeah. gave me baseball and now you're taking it away again." I want to so. watch Mike Trout again. Yeah. All right. Well, the Mariners are undefeated, so that's exciting. And uh, <laughs> baseball's back, and that's exciting. So we will continue to watch it and enjoy it over the weekend. And I think our plan is at least for the two of us and Sam to maybe reflect on some opening baseball in uh, our next episode. So that'll be fun. But we will take a quick break now, and we'll be joined by Joey Mellows, the baseball grit, to talk about his journey around the baseball world. So we are joined now by Joey Mellows, a.k.a. Baseball Brit. He is temporarily in the same city as Meg, Seattle, where he saw the Mariners play on opening day. Joey, hello. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Ben. Hello, Meg. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, happy to. So we'll get into your whole backstory and history and what you're doing this season, but give us your opening day experience. What was your impression of Seattle and, and of the undefeated Seattle Mariners? <laughs> The opening day was uh, it's incredible it's uh it's actually the third time I've seen the Mariners already this season and uh <laughs> right. they're three and oh so the weather was terrific you know the Macklemore a bloke called Macklemore did like some singing before the game I didn't know any of his songs but he was a very enthusiastic young man so kind of enjoyed that and uh yeah it was really fun watching Dee Gordon and Malik Smith like they're two players that you know I could watch all day mm-hmm. where were you in the park did you do anything before or after the game what was your your whole opening day approach I was sat up high behind home plate and to be honest I was right on the aisle so people kept coming up and down I couldn't really see the hitter so I just kept moving around which to be honest was probably the best thing to do because I got to see lots of different views of the ballpark and uh, sit with different people so I had a a lovely time and I'm excited to get back there tonight. You get a Kikuchi start tonight so 
you'll be able to see him uh, twice, I guess, in such a short period of time. I'm jealous. I've only gotten to see him pitch live once. I'm really, yeah. I mean, you say Kikuchi, he's a guy that I was really excited to, uh, you know, to see get signed by a major league baseball team. And uh, he had a really strong start, didn't quite get to five innings in Japan. So we'll see how he, how they manage their innings tonight, I guess. But uh, he's someone that really excites me as a player. Well, since you just saw the Mariners in Japan and now you've seen them in Seattle, can you give us a, a comparison of the atmosphere, the ballpark atmosphere, the crowds, how the game kind of differs? Because, of course, as we will get into, you started getting into baseball in, in South Korea and you've seen baseball games all over the world. So what's the experience like at, say, Safeco compared to Japan or South Korea? Japan, there's um, you know, obviously stereotyping a bit, but in Japan, there's there's a lot of kind of brass instruments. It's very organized. Like, so they cheer when their team are, are at bat, um, and then the home fans are quiet when the away team come up. But often in Japan, they'll have away supporters. So it's just a lot of trombones and like bugles and stuff. It's uh, like a cacophony of noise in Japan. Whereas in Korea, it's kind of more, there's more singing, like chanting from the, from the fans. Mm-hmm. Normally, each player has their own kind of uh, song that the fans will know and they'll sing often to music whilst these and then in in the usa like uh what's kind of fun here is you've got more stuff in between innings when you know the big screen's on and there's kind of crazy stuff going on in the in the crowd like there was kiss cam yesterday that was super awkward smile cam (laughs) d gordon was talking about you know whether it's trashy or flashy you know flip-flopping or some dance move that the kids are doing so it was really fun here as well it's just it's just all a bit different each place yeah not enough trombones here though that's for sure Get your trombones out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to work on our brass section. <laughs> Get practicing, please, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we should get into your history and how you ended up here. So for people who have not read or heard about your story, give us the origin of the baseball Brit. So I'm just a regular English bloke. I lived there till I was 29. I was a teacher straight from university at a boarding school. Very sensible humdrum life, I guess, and never given baseball a second thought, to be quite frank. But I moved to South Korea for a teaching job with a London-based school and uh, went on holiday to Japan, just across. And I had my parents with me, and they're quite old. They've been with me for about two weeks. I'm sure they'll be listening to this, so I've got to be careful. But, you know, it was like the third night in Japan. I wasn't really sure what to do with them, to be honest. So we saw that there was it was opening week, and um, I just thought that's an easy way to kind of keep them occupied and happy. For a few hours so we went along in Osaka to see the Oryx Buffaloes play the Chiba Lotte Marines and I just absolutely fell in love with it straight away so went back to Korea and started watching my local team in Seoul the LG Twins and I've been hooked ever since. And what sort of drove the change of focus or broadening of focus from baseball in Asia to include Major League Baseball? Well in um, in Asia obviously I was trying to understand a, a completely new game in a different culture and different language so even the Korean players have hangul on their you know for their names on the back of the jerseys so I was trying to understand statistics on the board in in Korean and with the time difference I soon realized that major league baseball games were shown in Korea in the morning uh, Korea's about 13 hours ahead so like a New York game at 7 would be on at was at 8 in the morning in South Korea so I started watching Major League Baseball really just to try and understand more about what I was watching because it was in English at last and I could actually understand what the commentators were saying. So Major League Baseball for me was kind of a learning way 
to understand what I was seeing in in the various Korean ballparks I was traveling to. And so take us through your decision to quit your job, to decide to devote yourself to baseball full time and, and to just go on the road. I mean, had you been thinking of making some sort of change and when you discovered baseball, you realized that that was what it would be or that you'd at least take a, a gap year and just devote it to baseball? Yeah, so just to be completely straight with everyone, I didn't quit the job. I, you know, just the contract came to an end. I didn't, you know, let those kids down or anything. They knew I was leaving and it was all sorted. So uh, mm-hmm. the contract ran down and um, I've been teaching for 10 years. So it's all I've really done. And I just thought with the London series coming over um, this summer, Yankees, Red Sox play two games, June the 29th and June the 30th. This was really the, the best time to try and have a full run at it and try and recruit more people back in Europe to, you know, watch baseball and, you know, share sharing the enjoyment that I certainly get from the game. So I've saved up for 10 years and I don't have a car or a mortgage. So I, yeah, I've chosen to do this and I'm, I'm really excited by it. And to be honest, you know, Ben and Meg, I wake up every morning with the biggest grin on my face. So already for me, it's been worth it just because I feel so energized and so excited each day. Can you talk about the the logistics of all of this? Because I'm curious to know how far, like how how far in advance have you planned your summer, your trip? I, I have this vision of you standing sort of a beautiful mind style with every schedule of Major League Baseball spread out before you as you decide how you're going to navigate all the different parks and home and away series. Do you do you know where you're going to be on you know August 15th, or are you playing it a little more fast and loose? So. The way I kind of planned for it, I created, I'm, I'm a super nerd, so I created this map of every professional baseball team in the United States from, you know, major league, minor league, independent league, and I plotted them all on this map exactly where the ballparks are, and that's been what I used to, to get the schedule together. I try and make sure that I'm, I'm not traveling too far each day, so I'm not tired and I can really enjoy being at the ballpark and speaking to people before the game, players, broadcasters, fans. So I'll post it on my Twitter um, when this comes out. So if people want to have a look at it and maybe it will help 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 other people plan a road trip or whatever, then that would be cool. But that's what I use. But in terms of planning for this trip, it's it's not something that I've planned for for a long time. I've always saved the money. I thought it would be maybe for like a mortgage or for a wedding. But, you know, you can't plan for those things sometimes. And um, when I wanted to have a bit of a change of career, I just thought, well, maybe it's time to treat myself a bit and stop being so sensible and boring and saving this money up and never really enjoying it. And, you know, let's let's see if we can get more people into baseball, which is something I'm truly passionate about. And so you know that you'll be in Seattle, say, until Tuesday, and then I assume you know where you'll be going from there. But do you have it planned out step by step? I'm going from this city to that city and this ballpark to that ballpark, or are you kind of winging it? Well, it's all planned up until, I think, the beginning of August. So um, I'm trying to make sure that I get to all 30 major league ballparks just to kind of show show each team to to potential new fans back in Europe who who might not have a team to support. I mean, that's one of the most interesting things about being a fan from outside of the USA. We really don't have any ties to one particular team. So we're in a quite privileged position where we can kind of sit back and think, who, who am I going to support? Whose jersey am I going to buy? Which team am I going to save up money and travel to? So I really want to make sure that it's not just Yankees and Red Sox that people are hearing about back in the UK, albeit, you know, we're very grateful that they're coming over this summer. But I want to introduce the Minnesota Twins and, you know, the Houston Astros and the Tampa Bay Rays and show off Tropicana, believe it or not. So that's, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm in Florida in, in May. I've never been to Florida in my life. It's one of those places that 
I just remember seeing like Will Smith, like Welcome to Miami or whatever that song was back in the 90s. I was like, <laughs> that place looks amazing. So I'm just so excited that I'm going to be there, man. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, That's delightful. I, I am curious sort of how you have found the response to be from your, you know, your fellow countrymen and women, as you've talked about baseball. Have people uh, back home been receptive to this you know, wonderfully, delightfully insane endeavor that you're embarking on? Or do they look at you a little funny when you tell them? How how do they understand what you're doing? And how have they kind of responded to baseball in turn? I'd say 99% of the responses I've had to this have been overwhelmingly positive, which I'm surprised by, to be honest. I mean, it's Twitter, so you're never too far away from someone calling you a twit. But it's uh, it's been very positive. And I should say that there is already an existing UK baseball community. It's it's not it's not just me there's there's lots of people there that are really passionate about the sport already like tomorrow in london there's a mlb uh, meetups uk uh, where people are being encouraged to bring friends from work that don't maybe don't know about baseball to come to a bar and they're going to show six or seven mlb games uh, on saturday so that's you know that's something that's already taking place we've got a website backflips and nerds which anyone that starts getting interested in baseball can write for and they'll edit it and publish their work which is really cool they've got a podcast as well I know Mike Petriello's been on it, um, who Ben's on MLB Network with, I think, sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and there's another podcast called Absolute Bunts. It sounds a bit rude, but it's fine. Absolute Bunts. Uh, they they have podcasts like which are for beginners. So if, even if you don't really know the rules, it's just two guys that are kind of learning baseball stage by stage. And it's really fun. And, um, you know, there's all these people back home that are doing really positive things to grow interest. And I'm just fortunate enough that, or silly enough that, I'm, I'm out here able to watch games myself. Yeah. Well, is that community in the UK, I mean, was it seeded or started by expats who were trying to watch the game and, and get other people interested? Or was it purely just organic, just, you know, people who had never been into baseball, but came across it in some way and wanted to know more? I mean, I'm I'm kind of late to the game because I only got into, I saw my first game in 2015 in Japan and I've, I've lived abroad since then. So I'm a bit detached from, from the UK. Uh, but from what I understand, it used to be on television on uh, uh, Channel 5, uh, which is a kind of, it's a terrestrial TV program that most people can access freely uh, in the late 90s. And I think they, they had a run of games up until about 2008. And lots of people that you know used to work nights and were students and stayed up late got into baseball that way. The time difference really, guys, is the thing that makes baseball not very accessible to us back home. It's, it's on at midnight most of the time. And if it's if it's an LA game, for example, it will be on at three in the morning. So it's just the fact that people don't really see it on their screens, or they don't really see it in the newspapers. And that's something that I'm I'm hoping to change with some other people. There's a new there's a new show um, on BT Sport in the UK called Caps Off, um, yeah. and I'm doing some stuff for that. And uh, that's that's being filmed out in uh, ESPN Studios in Bristol, Connecticut. I fly there on Tuesday, and um, you know we're we're just hoping that more people stumble across baseball and think. Maybe we've got some games this summer. Maybe we should go. I'm curious sort of where the conversation around sabermetrics and analytics is in that community, because uh, as it's you know formed maybe a bit more recently and doesn't carry some of the same hangups that the, the baseball watching audience in the U.S. has had as they've adapted to a changing game, do people view baseball through an analytics lens in the U.K.? I mean, obviously, there are going to be a range of uh, reactions to the game. I don't mean to say that everyone's going to view it quite the same way, but kind of where does that conversation stand among U.K. fans? Yeah, so we've got you know a really diverse spread of level of interest in the game and level of knowledge. 
we have some people, for example, I've got a friend called Russell, Russell Eason, and he writes a lot for Batflips and Nerds about sabermetrics and, you know, what's the best way of evaluating pitches and hitters and things. And there's, there's certainly, you know, if people want to read that information and find that information, then it's available online. At the minute, you know, I'm just traveling around trying to, you know, find the most accessible kind of statistics for new fans to kind of understand how good a hitter is. So it's a frequent question I'll try and ask players, you know, what do you think is the best way of evaluating your own skill set? And, um, you know, I get I get a variety of responses. And to what extent do you try to use analogies to other sports that are more popular in the UK? Because I remember when we did an interview about Finnish baseball, Pesapalo, over the winter, we were making all these comparisons to baseball, to American baseball. And our guest was saying that at times it's maybe more helpful not to do that because it's even more confusing if you try to say, well, it's like this, but it's different in this way and that way instead of just explaining how it is without any comparisons to anything. So do you say... Say, oh, it's it's kind of like cricket, and that you have this and that, or do you just sort of explain it from the ground up? Uh, in the UK, I'd say we try to avoid those kind of analogies. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to slip into saying like the the Yankees and Manchester United and the Red Sox and Liverpool. Not only because you know John Henry owns both Liverpool and the Red Sox, <laughs> but yeah, it's something I try not to do very often with people in the UK. It's more a question I get asked over here by American people is. You know, how does this compare to cricket? And, you know, I was talking to Rob Bradford, the beats, uh, Red Sox beat writer yesterday about you know, pace of play. And he asked me for some comments about the game yesterday was apparently very slow. And I, I hadn't even thought about whether it was slow or not. I was just sat there having a lovely time. And he, he wanted to know how long a cricket game was. So I said, it's, it's five days for a test match. So this really, you know, three hours, 20 minutes or two hours, 50 minutes. I don't care. It's, it's just more opportunity to, you know, to enjoy everything that I'm watching. I'm so envious of you being able to just enjoy a baseball game without all of this horrible (laughs) backstory on pace of play. What a lovely, what a lovely thing. I really don't get it, guys, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm (laughs) I'm an outsider and people are trying to shorten it or whatever and have pitch clocks and things. I know in the minor leagues last season, they, they were putting runners on second base or something if it went to extra innings. And I mean, in Korea, where I, you know, I kind of watched a lot of baseball, a game can end in a draw. So after 12 innings, if it's tied, the game just ends. And I know that's shocking to you Americans that there isn't a winner, you know, someone isn't a loser um, and someone can't, you know, you know, enjoy the glory of winning a game. But yeah, I don't care how long the baseball game is here. It's, it's just more time to kind of understand and look around and enjoy, reflect and think and talk to the people that you're watching the game with. We're going to send you to New York to, to plead our case to the commissioner. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll do what I can, guys. <laughs> Well, this is the second season that you've been on the road because last year you were kind of making the circuit of independent league ballparks, which, of course, the independent leagues are, are close to my heart, too. And you went to some major league games. I think I, I found one article with you where you said that you actually preferred indie ball because it was just a little <laughs> less corporate or, you know, less antiseptic and just sort of has character and flavor and all of that. And, of course, I, I see the appeal as well. So tell us about that experience of of just kind of going further from the spotlight. Yeah, so I'm a really simple guy and I just I get a lot of enjoyment from watching baseball and you know the major league level there's there's the big contracts and you know it's lots of money and it's very corporate and like I spent last summer just watching lots of independent baseball where people are playing for the love of the game or you know they're because they're still holding on to a dream that they haven't quite realized yet. And the people that are working, you know, for the various clubs are, are there. They're not getting paid a lot of money, but they're doing what they do because they believe in the sport. 
and you know that's something that I share and I wanted to speak to them and you know kind of learn more about their own experiences within baseball and I had a I had one of the best summers of my life last year and I met Theo Fightmaster who I know you know Ben used to work with with the Sonoma Stompers and that was the most expensive hotel of the whole trip then, by the way, was in Sonoma, mate. I don't know how you afforded to live there, mate. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I live in Manhattan right now, so relative to that, everything else is cheaper. But yeah, Sonoma, not cheap. And I know a lot of your listeners, you know, really enjoyed the book and, you know, your time with Ben with the Stompers. And, you know, that for me was like a, a real fanboy moment, meeting Theo and having yeah. a Cuban lunch with him. And, you know, what a lovely, kind man. And I'm so excited that he's now the commissioner of that Pacific Association League. And mm-hmm. I'm really sure it will go from strength to strength under his leadership and guidance. Yeah. Are there players who you're um, especially excited to get to see live and in person as you, you know, sort of work your way through this this schedule this summer? Yeah, there are, Meg. Um, I'm a huge fan of Eric Eric Thames, or Thames, as you guys call him. But, <laughs> you know, for me, the River Thames, it's in my head, that's always how I used to say his name when he was playing for the NC Dinos in, in, in Korea. He was a, he was a megastar over, over there, and uh, he really respected the culture, and he, he learned a lot about the language. And, you know, he was on TV programs there singing, uh, you know, dressed like in a disguise. They had no idea it was Eric Thames, and he's even been back and done that since he left Korea. Um, he's, he seems like such a lovely person and he's obviously an absolute machine with the weights and stuff and he loves his beers. So I'm really hoping I catch up with Eric in, in Milwaukee or maybe on the road and try and explain why I'm such a fan of his. But, um, Zach Grenke's another one, you know, he's a, he seems like a very thoughtful, quirky kind of intelligent guy who, who, who likes the scouting aspect and spends his free time learning more about baseball as well. And, you know, that's, I'm sure he wouldn't want to meet me because of his person, you know, personality is quite a quiet bloke from what I understand. But, you know, I'd, uh, I'm certainly very excited to watch him pitch on the road. And I know he had an awful start on opening day, but he's in my fantasy team. So I'm, I believe in you, Zach, if you're listening, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and well, you talked about how it's you get the luxury of kind of adopting a team. You don't have a, a built in affiliation geographically, so you can choose whichever team most speaks to you. So have you chosen one? Or have you become a fan of, of any one team? I mean, this is a cop out, but. My team are the LG Twins. I lived in Seoul right. for four years and they were 15 minutes down the road and I used to go and watch them. My moustache, I have a ridiculous moustache for those of you that haven't seen my, my ugly face, but that's because uh, you know my favourite Korean player is called Park Young-Tak and he's you know he's one of the hit leaders in Korea and he's, a, he's, a, he's an incredibly looking bloke. He wears glasses, like you know spectacles on the field and um, that's why I've got the moustache for him. But in Major League Baseball, just to try and connect more perhaps... Um, yeah, I do have a team. I keep it a bit quiet, guys, to be honest, because I am trying to introduce people back home to, you know, to all the teams. And I don't want people to start giving me, you know, pelters on Twitter for being a, I'll say it, I'll, I'll say it. I'm a Royals fan. I'm a Royals fan. All right. Wow. Huh. How did that happen? <laughs> I guess they were good when you first got into baseball. Well, no, like I started off watching the Rangers because I used to coach soccer in Dallas when I was I was at university in London and I used to coach. I did a thesis on tipping culture. You guys tip here and it was looking at whether it's a social norm or an economic necessity. Why do people tip mm. in the USA? And, you know, whilst I was doing that research, I was coaching soccer in the Dallas Fort Worth area and went to Pizza Hut Park, as it was called, to watch uh, FC Dallas. But in, in Korea, Shinsu Chu, all of his games are on TV. So we see all of Ryu's games for the Dodgers. Every single Dodgers game is on TV. Every single Rangers game. The, the Pirates are on as well. Uh, the, the third baseman, Kang, Jung Ho Kang. So I watched a lot of Rangers games with Shinsu Chu. So I started off with them. But then I dated a girl from Kansas City. 
And uh, that was much later after the World Series win. And I fell in love with Kansas City as a place. And I used to fly back and forth from Seoul. I got booted off a Delta flight because they'd overbooked it. So they gave me like $3,000 worth of flights, uh-huh. you know, for the inconvenience of the fact I had to get removed from the flight because they'd overbooked it. So that's how I afforded that. You know, I'm, I'm just on a teacher's salary, but I got lucky with that. So I flew back and forth and just love Kansas City. And I love the Royals this season with all the pace they've got. They're going to be a fun watch and had a great start yesterday. And how are you getting from place to place? Because you mentioned you don't have a car, right? So are you taking buses everywhere, trains, flying? Yeah. So at the minute, um, I flew in from South Korea to Seattle. The reason I'm here is, I mean, officially it's because I'd love to see Seattle and the Red Sox are coming to London and they start here, the World Series champs. But you know, with these Delta points, I was able to get a flight here for £35 from Seoul, $50 or whatever. So it was so cheap that I flew in here and I fly east on Tuesday. And then I've got a mate who is going to hopefully give me a car. I haven't asked him yet. So it's a bit awkward, but I'm, I'm, meant, to be, <laughs> I'm meant to be there on Friday in Philadelphia. So I'm hoping he's going to lend me his car. And from then on, I'll just be driving around and I'm really excited about the road trip aspect, you know, just hitting the yeah. open road and I'll be downloading a lot of Effectively Wild podcasts for sure to, <laughs> to listen on the way and catch up with all the pre-season <laughs> stuff you were doing. And there was right. one I, I really enjoyed last summer when I was driving around about some bloke crazier than me that went to 30 major league yes, ballparks right. in 30 days. Michael Mountain. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, this is nothing compared to that. Well played, mate. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you're speaking to us now from the hostel where you're staying in Seattle. Do you know where you'll be staying day to day? I mean, are you mostly <laughs> going to be staying at places like that? Or have you kind of made friends and internet friends who you'll be crashing with from time to time? Well, I was panicking this morning, Ben, because I get kicked out. Well, I don't get kicked out, but my I haven't booked for tomorrow here and they're sold out. So huh. I had a random message this morning from a bloke called Patrick who lives in Seattle. And he just he just offered whether, you know, he said, would you like to stay with me? And I'm going around his house at nine o'clock tomorrow morning. He's got a golden retriever, he said, and he's yeah. got to go to work at 10. And I'm just going to be sat in his house in Seattle with his golden retriever <laughs> for the next three nights. So, I mean, it's the kindness of strangers, really, that's keeping this keeping this trip going. And Twitter is, you know, it's it's a strange beast, but people have been really positive and I'm just ever so grateful for all the offers that people have kind of sent this way and it's it's very much appreciated. Yeah, it does it does occasionally counterbalance some of its nastier aspects, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Twitter can be a bit mean kind of sometimes, but just a, just a little bit. So at the at the conclusion of this, I mean, you don't have to have an answer with this, especially if your parents potentially listen <laughs> to this podcast. But I'm curious, sort of, what what do you see your your place in baseball being going forward? Are you hoping that you'll do this and then go back to teaching, or do you have ambitions within baseball itself? Just curious, what what comes next after your wild summer? Nick, to be honest, I, I don't know. I have no idea. It's not something I'm thinking about that far ahead at the moment. I'm just waking up each day and just enjoying life and enjoying the fact, you know, the baseball season started again and I get to have this incredible journey and, you know, show people back home, hopefully, that baseball is a sport that's that's worthy of their time and interest. So I have no idea where this is going to lead. If it leads nowhere, then I'll go back to teaching. It's something I've enjoyed doing for 10 years and working with young people is also exciting and enriching in its own way. So I don't know, and um, I'll worry about it towards the end of the season when I'm when I'm destitute. 
(laughs) (laughs) And you will be going back to London for the games there. Can you explain what those games might mean to the UK baseball community and to people who may not even know about baseball but will because of those games? Obviously, MLB is kind of the, the last of the big American sports to play games in the UK, so I don't know whether that means that the territory has already been staked out by basketball or by football or, or what, but do you expect this to make a major difference? And I'm so excited, like we all were online. When we heard this news, I, I remember fist pumping the air. I was so happy. And, um, you know, this is this is a really big step with Major League Baseball coming over, particularly particularly with the teams they're bringing. I mean, I mean, they could have brought, you know, the Marlins against, you know, against the Royals. And I'd have been delighted, don't get me wrong. But, <laughs> you know, the fact they're bringing two of the biggest guns, you know, in, in all of in all of Major League Baseball, it's a real statement of intent from them. I know they're back officially in 2020 with another series which is yet to be announced but from my understanding you know this is this is a long-term thing and I think they're looking at a decade-long kind of push to try and you know uh, have a larger market in Europe um, and try and grow interest in baseball and the people that I'm friends with on Twitter we're all behind it 100% and uh, we're going to try and you know take our mates and stuff and and get them interested and hopefully get them get them watching more baseball. And how much is baseball played there? Because just from following your Twitter feed, I've I've seen some tweets about youth baseball tryouts and, and that sort of thing. And of course, there is a, a national team, even if it is mostly made up of people who are not natives, but maybe have some ancestors from the UK. <laughs> but how much is, is baseball played? Can you find it if you're a kid in, in the UK and you want to play baseball? Can you do that? You can definitely find it. It's it's played on Sundays. I'm in touch regularly with our with our national coach Liam Carroll. You know, part of what I'm doing out here at the minute is to try and find a way to to get some funding for for Team GB. We're currently ranked 38th in the world. Uh, we have we have a big European competition in September, and uh, you know the aim is to climb up the rankings. And um, they got some funding this year for the first time, which is really exciting. About thirty two thousand pounds for equipment, uh, a sports grant. So. At the minute, I'm, you know, in, in talks with people about how we can try and support the GB national team more and, uh, you know, get more get more kids playing baseball uh, recreationally and also competitively. And you've kind of gotten this close-up look at, at baseball. You're almost, a, you know, a member of the, the media at this point. You're <laughs> Later today, you're going to be going down to the, the clubhouse, right, with a, a beat writer who's kind of taking you under his wing, and you've been credentialed for these games, and you've gone on MLB Network and ESPN. I mean... Did teaching sort of prepare you for this kind of experience because you're used to talking in front of crowds and uh, meeting a lot of people? I mean, is this sort of all a, a whirlwind at this point? I have no idea why this is happening. No, yeah, it's <laughs> every every day that stuff like that happens. Like in Tokyo, when I just got an email saying, we've got you a media credential, you can come onto the field for Ichiro's last game. I had to pinch myself and think, what? Are you being serious? Me? Seriously? But um, yeah, I mean, teaching has helped me because... As a teacher, you know, there were there were times, guys, when I'll be honest, I hadn't maybe planned the lesson as thoroughly as I should have done. And, I, you know, I'm kind of acting in front of the kids, just trying to be as enthusiastic as I can and, you know, try and make them realize that I haven't hadn't planned it as well as I could have done. So, yeah, from that point of view, I'm acting every day. Like when I, you know, today I'm going down to the clubhouse and I've heard in the States that you're allowed to speak to the players 
like when they're still getting dressed and things. So like, <laughs> I'm terrified today that I'm going to, you know, the first experience I have of seeing Mookie Betts is going to, you know, he's going to be in a towel or something and he's he just coming out of the shower. So I, I don't want to have that image of yeah. Mookie in my head. Like I'd rather remember his fantastic play in the outfield or whatever. So I'm a bit nervous. Like it seems such, it seems such an invasion of privacy to me, but that's why Rob, like that's the one thing that I said to him, I said, Rob, can you take me down? Rob Bradford, can you take us down to the clubhouse today? Because, I, I really feel uncomfortable about the whole situation, but he's going to take me down and hopefully I'll say hello to a few of the players and get them introduced to people back home. So I'm, I'm really excited and I'll be heading down to the T-Mobile Park, almost said Safeco, in about three hours. So yeah, just very fortunate and I have no idea why it's happening, but I'm just enjoying the ride at the minute. You mentioned that the the pace of play issues don't really bother you. I'm curious, as someone who you know has a very informed perspective, but one that's a bit outside of sort of the you know the typical perspective here in the U.S. What do you make of baseball's seeming fretting over the state of the game and where the game is going? Are there are there issues that have been raised that you think have some validity and that you'd like to see addressed, or do you think that we're just tinkering with something that is best left alone? <laughs> I think there are genuine issues. Yeah. I mean, with my Twitter account, I'm always trying to be very positive because that's the angle I'm going for to try and grow interest in the game. But I've got friends that play in the minor leagues and I was shocked when I learned about, you know, how much money they get paid or how little money they get paid, perhaps I should say. I've been to, you know, I've been to their houses and things on the road and seen that they're living, you know, five people in an apartment with blow up mattresses. It's quite shocking to see the conditions they live in. I don't want to drop any names because I don't want to embarrass the players or, or, you know, the teams that they're now affiliated with. But I think that that's something that needs to be addressed. And there was an excellent article by Emily Walden recently, you know, which did explore in more detail, you know, the kind of living conditions that these minor league players have. For me, you know, as a humanities teacher, that's something that I think is the most shocking aspect. And all this, you know, pace of play or whatever, to me, I'm not as well informed as other people. So it doesn't bother me. But um, certainly, I think people should get paid a living wage and, and, and for working during spring training. What's your strategy for familiarizing yourself with baseball history? Or how much do you make an effort to do that? Because there is just so much history that when you grow up watching the game, you know, you hear names on broadcasts and it, it all just sort of seeps into your brain. But when you didn't grow up watching it, you, I would imagine, have to make a more concerted effort to find out, oh, who this guy, this Hall of Famer who was just mentioned what's his story how much time do you spend kind of just bringing yourself up to speed or do you prefer to just appreciate the game in the present <laughs> this is going to sound a bit cliche ben but to get into the history i watched ken burns's documentary and that took up about 20 hours of my life <laughs> right. but i've actually downloaded it on my computer so every now and then like when i was in career i used to sometimes and i don't mean this to be rude to kenneth but I used to like play it whilst I was in bed and I'd fall asleep just listening to because it's so soothing his voice. And, uh, you know, it's quite a kind of nostalgic, romanticized way of looking at these past baseball players. And that got me into things like the TTO6 baseball cards and learning about the Onus Wagner card and things. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, there was a, there was a fantastic book I read called the glory, the glory of their times or something. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an avid reader. I'm a nerd unsurprisingly. So, yeah, I try and learn as much as I can about the history of the game, but uh, I'm also very much focused on the present at the moment. So, um, yeah, I, I think baseball's got a fascinating history, and I hope to get to Cooperstown at some point in the next year or two. Can you talk about the new show, Caps Off, which you, you mentioned briefly before, but what's the audience? How do you find that show? And uh, what are the hopes for how that might help spread the game to the UK? Yeah, so this is a, this is a new show 
that's filmed by ESPN. It's only 12 minutes long, so it's quite short. I hope it becomes longer, but it's it's shown on BT Sport in the United Kingdom. And I know on Thursday it was their debut show. It got shown at, I think, 3.45 on Thursday afternoon. And um, it's also shared via social media uh, from BT Sport and from ESPN. And um, it's it's essentially a way of introducing baseball to to new fans. So they kind of look back at some of the history. They focused on each row, for example, at the start of their first show. Um, they talked about Bryce Harper. And then they did make that analogy of comparing him to Lionel Messi. And, you know, I think that, you know, some people enjoyed that and some people didn't. But <laughs> it's a difficult bouncing act for them because they've got to cater to the existing fans who are very knowledgeable. There are some incredibly knowledgeable British baseball fans. And then also they've got to try and hook the attention of people that might just be flicking through the TV channels. So I think it was a really good start and um, I'm excited to see where it goes in the future. And, you know, my part on the programme is very small. I just basically do a little video from each ballpark I go to of me just having a lovely time. So it's very easy work for me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what the future holds with hopefully more coverage of baseball. Have you ever had a, a bad ballpark experience? <laughs> it sounds like uh, you are pretty much blissful wherever you go watching baseball, but has there been any negativity? I mean, just as, as I am as a bloke, I try not to dwell on, you know, any negative stuff. But there was one time at Yankee Stadium, I was I was wearing a Texas Rangers jersey. I had Shinsu Chu on the back, obviously, as, you know, living in Korea. I love Shinsu. And um, we'd just beaten them in, in, a, in a Thursday afternoon game. And I was outside of a bar called Sam's waiting for a, an Uber. And it said it was one minute away. And there were these Yankees fans yelling at me from the bar windows, Oi, you know, Rangers, get in here. And they were kind of, you know, quite aggressive and drunk and they wanted to fight me. And I wasn't sure whether to run or keep looking at my phone because this Uber was one minute away. Do I stay and get punched? <laughs> but, you know, not have to forfeit like $10 or whatever it is for, for missing an Uber or do I run off? And I was on my own. So, you know, I've got no shame. I, I don't mind running away from a fight. No worries. But yeah, I mean, that's the only negative thing I've had. And it, it really wasn't that bad. And it was just a few lads, had, you know, who'd enjoyed a few beers at the game. And I was wearing a Rangers jersey, no sweat, you know, no, no trouble whatsoever. Mm. What's the best ballpark experience you have? Or is there one that you're <laughs> especially looking forward to on this on this road trip that you haven't gotten to see yet? Well, just to give some love back to the Yankees, um, I, was, I was at another game at the Yankees and I was sat on a chair and my credit card fell out of my pocket in New York, of all places, right at the start of my trip. And that's how I was financing the whole, the whole summer. So I thought, oh, golly, like, you know, what's going to happen now? I'm going to have to go back to England. I've lost my credit card. It will take like a week for it to get replaced. I can't get it posted anywhere. So I just went down to the Yankees like office and someone had already handed it in and it was in an envelope with my name on and they just said, here you are, Joey, like someone handed in your credit card. And I was just like, wow, you hear all these stories about New York and stuff. And yeah, I just thought that was wonderful that someone had seen it and they thought to return it. And, you know, thank you to the Yankees for sorting my, you know, sorting out my summer and saving it from, uh, from peril two years ago or whatever. So that was a really good experience, but you know, the independent stuff in, you know, any independent ballpark, I'm, I've got the biggest smile on my face that you can imagine. And this this trip, Meg, I'm looking forward to genuinely, genuinely looking forward to Tropicana. Um, I've heard I've heard the worst things about it, but whenever you know I hear something negative about something, I always think, well, there must be some there must be some beauty in it somewhere, and I'm going to find it and I'm going to hold on to it and cherish it and share it with people. And Tampa Bay Rays, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think of what the beauty would be there, but uh, well, I don't know. Maybe Jeff Sullivan will be there then. Who knows? But... Oh, yeah, Jeff Sullivan. And it's named after an orange. Like Tropicana, that's an orange juice, right? It, yeah. yeah. I think it's incredible. You've got Petco Park, which is named after a pet shop. And then you've got Tropicana <laughs> that's named after like an orange juice carton. 
Oh, you've got some cracking names like with your ballparks. I enjoy these. Like even though they're big sponsors, I think it's pretty cool, pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah, Mike Zanino will be there, right? He's he's beautiful yeah. in his own way. Yeah, yes. so that's something. Flawed but beautiful. That that <laughs> sums up his major league career. That sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So do you reflect much on, I mean, this turn that your life has taken? I'm just trying to imagine what the you of five years ago would think, <laughs> seeing you now just devoted full-time to traveling around the world, watching a sport that at that time, I assume you were just peripherally aware of and uh, had no inkling that it was about to become your full-time occupation. So uh, do you think about that much, or are you just kind of riding this wave? I mean, I mean, I haven't really thought about it until you've asked, but I imagine like me five years ago would be bitterly disappointed with, uh, with what I'm doing now. Like, I, you know, just like anyone else, I hope to get married and have a house and kids and stuff. And, you know, for me, yeah, that hasn't happened for those people that have got that, you know, you're the, you know, the luckiest people in the world, really. But I'm just excited to be waking up watching baseball. And I try not to, you know, think too deeply about whether I am where I want to be or not. And, you know, what the future is going to be. It's just, Today I'm watching the Red Sox and I'm going to watch Yusei Kikuchi pitch and, you know, life couldn't be better, could it? Yeah. Well, it has been a pleasure to follow baseball along with you. And, and I mean, I think it's something that if you've been watching baseball your whole life, it can really renew your appreciation of it to watch someone else discover it and get into it for the first time the way that you have. So I think uh, following you, I mean, I hope that it has helped spread a love of the game to UK fans, but I think you are also doing the same for American fans who have kind of gotten cynical and jaded about baseball and we take it for granted. And uh, your joy about baseball, I think, helps us recapture that. So I appreciate that. And uh, please... I hope that you have a wonderful journey and uh, no negativity anywhere. And tell us where people can find you and follow you and hear you and just experience this trip that you're taking. Sure, Ben. And can, you know, can I just say thanks to you and Meg for having me on? Like when I when I got the message yesterday, I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. So um, it's been a real privilege to to be on and talk about our UK baseball community. I'm I'm online mostly on Twitter at baseball baseball Brit and. Um, I'm trying to I don't get Instagram I'll be honest but someone told me I need to be on there so I'm the baseball Brit on Instagram and please bear with me on Instagram guys I really don't know what I'm doing (laughs) (laughs) and are you still on the bat flips and nerds podcast at times yeah so the bat flips boys uh have a regular podcast that comes out once or twice a week at the moment and um that's uh, batflipsandnerds.com is their website and they're on twitter batflips underscore nerds and uh you know do engage with them because you know they're they're far more knowledgeable than i am and you know you can have a really in-depth conversation particularly with russell eason by the way he's uh he's like our uh what's his name bill james yeah yeah all right well please uh enjoy the summer and maybe we will check in with you again down the road Lovely. Thank you, guys. Okay, that will do it for today and for this week. Thanks to you all for listening. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild, as have the following five listeners, Michael Gates, Adam L. Cross, Sean McGuire, Tim Conrad, and Mia Weinberg. Thanks to all of you. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectivelywild. It is always busy when actual baseball is going on. And honestly, it's a kind of an efficient way to keep track of everything that is happening because every game is being watched by someone in the Facebook group who will post if anything interesting happens. So I find it a useful way to keep track of the action. You can rate and review and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and other podcast platforms. Keep your questions and comments for me and Meg and Sam coming via email at podcast.fancrafts.com. 
or via the Patreon messaging system if you're a supporter. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing assistance. You can pre-order my book, The MVP Machine, which comes out June 4th. I can't wait for you all to read it. And I usually end these things by saying I hope you have a wonderful weekend, but I don't even have to hope. Baseball's back. Of course you're going to have a wonderful weekend. And we will talk to you on the other side of it. I find that day by day You're making all my dreams come true So come what may I want you to know That I am yours alone And I'm in love, in love to stay As we go through the years Day by day I said day by day